Okay, on that pajama part. Okay. Pajamas uh, are accepted. We want to make it very welcoming to families. Okay, you ready? But they're not required. Okay? So there you go. Okay, so you don't have to go out and buy $60 new pajamas. Because, you know, really, I don't know about you, Myron, but I don't have $60 pajamas anyway. But... If, if you do, or if you'd like to participate, that's wonderful, okay? So that message is out there. Please don't stay away, because you don't have $60 pajamas. Uh, so there you go. That's what I wanted to say. Um, and if I go a little more often today to my throat coat tea, uh, the throat's a little, a little raw today. So there you go. And I'll try to keep a safe distance from you, so... I don't share my crud with y'all. Um, this time of year, do you ever have doubts? Do you ever have doubts about this virgin birth, angels appearing to shepherds, wise men appearing, uh, stars in the east stuff? Um, and that just leads you into some bigger stuff. Do you ever... Do you ever have doubts and misgivings about Jesus and church and the Bible and all that that entails? Just think with me. Um, how can we really know if Jesus really is God with skin on? How do we really know that? How can we be sure that Jesus took our place on the cross? How can I know that they put Jesus in the grave an early Sunday morning? He literally bodily, physically arose from the dead early Sunday morning. How, how do we know that? How can I be confident that in the beginning, Jesus spoke the heavens and the earth into existence? How can we know that? How can we trust that Jesus is our good shepherd and walks through it with us through the dark valleys of life. How can I know that God is actually working all things together for our good? How can we really know that? The truth is, much of the world believes that there was this big, massive, Boom, bang. And out of that explosion came this explosion of what I like to call primordial ooze. Boom! Came amoebas and bacteria. And over time it morphed into fish and birds and reptiles. And over billions of years it turned into monkeys and then you and me. So how can I know that what we choose to believe is really true? And what they say they think might be true is not. This morning we're going to go back 3,000 years. And we're going to look at a promise that was made to an ordinary shepherd. He really was just ordinary Red-headed kid, uh, when 
The prophet came to uh, anoint one of his kids. He didn't even think of his of his this this one. He, he was out in the field. No, there's no way. But this this ordinary shepherd turned king gets a promise from God. And here's my argument. Give me your eyes. If this three thousand year old promise is true and historical and accurate. If we can prove this morning beyond a reasonable doubt that the promise made in 1000 B.C. was kept and fulfilled and on target with truth, then this morning we're going to put some supernatural glue on many of our doubts. Okay? If it's true and if it's provable and accurate, this should put some supernatural cement on some of our misgivings about Jesus being God with skin on. So would you locate with me back in the old section, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God Almighty makes some powerful promises to an ordinary shepherd who was then king and his name is David. If you're able, would you please stand with me? Let's read together the promise that the Lord God, Jehovah, made to King David. We're going to start with verse 8 and read down through verse 16. You ready? Here we go. Let's read together. Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who's ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel. And I'll give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring. And I'll make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I'll correct and discipline him with the rod, like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I'm praying that you'll help us today to understand the significance of the promise we just read. 
Lord, would you show us how this promise continues to affect our lives in 2022? We welcome your spirit, Jesus, to come today and take charge in your church. And Lord, where sin this past week has uh, cropped up and uh, attached itself to our life and is preventing us from being in right relationship with you, would you point that out right now? Would you speak? Would you uh, convict? And as you make things clear right now, stuff you call sin, we're not going to ignore it, we're not going to excuse it, we're not going to blame it away, we're going to call it what you do as we do the U-turn, and we run to the cross, and we confess that is sin, what you're making clear right now, and we're going to ask you apply the shed blood of your son to wash and cleanse and purify thank you you've already marked our accounts paid in full you did that the moment we said yes to your son Jesus but we're writing the check of confession right now wash cleanse we want to be back in right relationship with you ready to do business ready to hear from you ready to shine bright even today All the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, you can be seated. King David here uh, is at the height of uh, his reign. He's clicking on all all eight cylinders. Um, He's doing really well. He's conquered enemies. Uh, Things are going well. It's about 1000 B.C. before Jesus was born in a Bethlehem barn. Got it? So 1,000 years earlier, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, Jehovah sends Nathan. That's the same Nathan, the same prophet who would come back to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 13. So, six chapters later is the lowest low of David's life when Nathan appears and challenges him. Why? Because in chapter 13, David has stolen Bathsheba from Uriah, has sent him to be murdered to the front of the line, and he'd be challenged and caught And suddenly he comes flying down and breaks in pieces at the bottom. So that's the lowest low. And it wasn't that long later from his highest high to his lowest low. But here in 2 Samuel 7, David's flying high. Okay, Uh, Nathan comes from Jehovah God. He's got a powerful promise he wants to make to David. Okay, These promises are called a covenant, okay? A covenant. We have that up there? Do we have, don't have that slide? Okay, that's okay. Um, The covenants were to folks that God said, I'm going to make some promises to you. And 
Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, Abraham receives promises from God called the Abrahamic Covenant. In Deuteronomy chapters, give me your eyes, 27 to 30, Moses receives promises from God, and that's called the Mosaic Covenant. And in 2 Samuel 7, that's what we're looking at right here, promises to King David, any guesses? We call that the Davidic Covenant, okay? You have to go to cemetery to learn that one, okay? Okay? Covenants in the Bible are containing two things, almost always, conditional promises and unconditional promises, okay? So, conditional, if you do this, God says, then I'll do this. There's a condition attached. Obedience, you need to do it my way. If you do it my way, I'll do this, okay? And then, covenants contain unconditional promises, where God says, I'm going to do this, period. No strings attached, okay? No conditions. I'm going to come through on this one. The Davidic covenant that we just read has both. It has conditional and unconditional parts to it. Uh, Conditional. David, if your descendants are faithful and follow me faithful, I will be with them and your descendants will just stay right on the throne. Okay? Uh, We know... They weren't faithful. It wasn't very long after David had died. Just a few generations later, uh, his lineage was removed by judgment from God through the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Okay? But now I want you to go back. Look at verse 16. Here's the key unconditional promise. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure how long forever forever david the lord promises your house your kingdom your throne will endure forever that's my promise that's unconditional that's my covenant with you That's God's unconditional promise to David. One of your ancestors will be the eternal forever king on the very throne that you're sitting on right now. That's my promise to you. Now let's fast forward 1,000 years. Would you locate the book of Matthew on your phone, Matthew chapter 1, or in your Bibles? Matthew chapter 1. One thousand years later, verses five and six. This is the part sometimes when you read and you get going and you're reading the Bible for the new year. How many of you are going to read your Bible next year all the way through? Anybody playing? Okay, some wonderful plans out there. Great. But sometimes when you get to the start of the New Testament, you go, "What? What is all?" Because it says verses five and six. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. 
Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Why, why does God start the New Testament in such a boring fashion? Why, why would you do that? I mean, you'd think if you're starting off on a brand new section of a book, you'd want to get off and fire it up. Um, he's giving us evidence here. He's giving us the family tree of Jesus Christ. Okay, Note with me, included in the genealogy of Jesus was Boaz, an outcast who married a foreigner. Also listed was the foreigner that he married, Ruth, and uh, he married, and Boaz's mother, by the way, it's mentioned, her name was Rahab. Anybody know what Rahab's occupation was? She was a prostitute in the family tree of Jesus. She was from Jericho. And if that's not enough, look at verse 6. And Matthew adds with emphasis, he didn't have to say it this way, that David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, okay? Not listed as David's wife, but instead he calls Bathsheba the widow of Uriah, whom David had murdered. Just, just wanted to point that out right from the start. The family tree of Jesus looks forward, anticipates the family that Jesus left the glory of heaven for. Give me your eyes. You didn't catch that. This is looking forward. This is why Jesus left the glory and the splendor of heaven. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Say that with me. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Like me. <laughs> like all of us. That, that's, what it's, that's what it's announcing right from the beginning. He came to seek and to save sinners like you and me. Now slide down to verse 16. Matthew 1. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. 1,000 years after Jehovah promised David, I want you to know, one of your ancestors will rule as the king of the universe. Jesus was born to Joseph and Mary. Okay? A direct descendant of King David. That's, that's why it begins this way. Okay, At this time... Before 70 A.D., okay, you could go to the temple and verify that claim, okay? Why? Because anyone who claimed to be the Messiah, oh yeah, I'm the Christ, I'm the promised one, the first thing people would do is we're going to verify whether this is a fake and a fraud or if it potentially is real, okay? So they would go... And they would go to the temple, and in the temple, uh, they would check, is this a descendant of David or not? Okay? 
in 70 A.D. something happened, okay? Um, in 70 A.D., the Roman army, can we put that picture up if you have it? It didn't show so good. This is the temple and Jerusalem on fire, okay? Uh, the Roman army under General Titus came and burned Jerusalem and the temple to the ground. 70 A.D. And all the genealogical records that were meticulously kept were destroyed in 70 A.D. So after 70 A.D., nobody could be verified whether you were in the lineage of King David or not. You understand? So anything after 70 A.D., there were no more records because the Romans destroyed them. Matthew wants us to know, on his earthly father, Joseph's side, you can trace the lineage from Jesus all the way back to King David. 2 Samuel 7, remember that promise? You can trace it right on his father's side to Jesus Christ. Now turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. This is where it gets interesting. Luke chapter 3. Because Dr. Luke, um, who was a real historian, adds to the evidence that could be verified at this time. Okay? Now here's what's interesting. In Luke chapter 3, most conservative scholars believe that listed here is the family tree of Jesus' mother, Mary. Matthew gives the family tree of Joseph. Uh, Dr. Luke instead gives the family tree of his mother, Mary. Okay? Look at verse 31, Luke chapter 3. Uh, Eliakim was the son of Malia. Malia was the son of Mena. Mena as the son of Matha. Matha was the son of Nathan. Nathan was the son of who? David. Huh. Interesting. Uh, here's the key point. Here, here's the point that, that Dr. Luke and Matthew are making. On his father's side... The family, Joseph's family, you could trace Jesus' lineage to King David, okay? But Dr. Luke says, I want you to know something further. On his mother's side of the family, Mary's family, you could trace Jesus' lineage to King David, okay? So you, you have like double assurance here. And anyone who doubted, anyone who was unsure about Jesus being the Messiah, the Savior, they could all go and check. They could all go to the temple, to the genealogy records at the temple, and go check on that. And here's what I promise you. Jesus had lots of enemies. <laughs> Jesus was hated. He, he was hated by the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. Jesus was a hated man, and I promise you, early on, they went to the temple. We can put an end to this. We'll, we'll get rid of this rumor. Um, and they went, and, and they asked, is this Jesus even qualified? Because if he's not in the genealogy records, 
going back to King David, we can just put the word out there and destroy this rumor. Early on, they checked on his father's side, lineage of King David. On his mother's side, lineage of King David. Which is why, now go with me there and look, go back to chapter 1. When Gabriel is announcing all this to Mary, notice what Gabe says right from the beginning. This is interesting. That's why this is so important, because everybody knew. If you're not connected to King David, you don't qualify. Verse 30, Luke 1, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Jesus. He'll be very great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, who? And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, who? Okay, we'll give you a third time, because most of you are still sleeping. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, Dave, oh yeah. And he'll reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. Promises made, promises kept. Say it with me. Promises made, promises kept. Back in 2 Samuel 7, promises made. You look in... Matthew and Luke, you go, oh, they did it just as was promised. Turn with me to the book of Acts, would you? Uh, Acts chapter 2. Okay, I want to keep this theme up of Jesus and David and the promise, because it's really important. Um, On the day of Pentecost, which is the day when the church began... When the Holy Spirit came and indwelt Jesus' followers, okay? That's when all this uh, began. In in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets to preach the very first church sermon, okay? Uh, So he gets up, and there's a bunch of people uh, who are there, and they're listening, and they don't know what's going on. But here's what Peter says in that very first church sermon, verse 29. Dear brothers, think about this, okay? So, wow, what is Peter going to say? Filled with the Holy Spirit, they're all listening. Here's what he says. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses of this. Now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as promised, gave us the Holy Spirit poured out upon us. 
But as you can see in here today, for David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Did you notice the subject matter? Very first sermon ever given in the church. It was all about David. David was the descendant, and Jesus is the descendant, and Jesus is that king that you've crucified. And here's what happened. Look at verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. They said to Peter and to the other disciples, Brothers, what should we do? We're in trouble. What should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? What should we do? Well, repent of your sins, turn away, run to God, run to Jesus, and then go public with it like we did last week and get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, when the Jews re realized, you know what? Jesus is the exact fulfillment of the promise of God made back in 2 Samuel 7. 3,000 Jews put their faith in Jesus Christ. As soon as they reckoned, oh yeah, promise made, promise kept, they turned and they said yes, and they became followers of Jesus Christ. Promises made, promises kept. Promises made, promises kept. Say it with me. Promises, promises. That's huge. <laughs> that matters. We serve a promise-keeping God. In every way, Jesus is the promise that the Lord God has made to us. A thousand years earlier, boom. Now I want you to go to the very last book of the Bible. Turn to Revelation, and not just the last book, but I want you to go to the last chapter of the last book. Revelation chapter 22. You know, I, I kind of like having this low voice. I've always been... I've always been a little jealous of the bases of this world, you know. Uh, Aaron's got a nice low voice. I've always been a little jealous of you, Myron, there. Uh, so I could get used to this, maybe. Just kidding, Lord. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> the uh, angels given John a little tour of the new heaven and the new earth, Okay. Looking how all things are going to end. Okay, Now, I want you to see how the Bible concludes. This is interesting, I think. Verse 16, Revelation chapter 22. Here, here's, here's what the last part of the tour says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David... And the heir to his throne, I am the bright morning star. Do, do you notice 
that promise that was made back in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord's still trumpeting that promise here in the very last chapter of the last book of the Bible. God's book concludes, I'm a promise keeper. I made a promise. I'm keeping my promise. I'm not going to go back on any of my promises. You can trust me. Okay? So here's my question, Henry. Why does that matter? What difference does it make that God is a promise keeper? Well, first, we can see clearly um, that God's promises are authentic and verifiable and there's evidence to back it up. Sometimes we feel like as a Jesus follower, i got to put my brain on the shelf and not think any longer. And, and that's just the opposite of truth. We have authentic, verifiable evidence that backs up what we believe. So this promise that was made, 2 Samuel 7, and kept in Matthew and Luke and Acts and Revelation, it puts some supernatural glue on some of our doubts. It really does. It, it applies some supernatural cement on some of our misgivings about our faith. Okay? No, this Jesus, this Bible stuff has evidence to back it up. He keeps his promises. Secondly, this matters because our King Jesus is still a promise keeper to us personally. Some of us are going through some valleys with our health. And the fact that God is a promise keeper means that I can trust him. No, Lord, you know what you're doing. You have a plan. You have a purpose. I can trust that you're working all things together for my good. Even if one year it's my eye and the next year it's my heart, Lord, I can trust you because I've seen the promises you've made. You have a plan. You have a purpose. You've never failed me. You're not going to start now. Some of us here today are fighting with an entangling, besetting, addicting sin. Some of us have things going on in our lives and we just don't seem to break free. We can't shake it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, I can hold on to God who is faithful and He'll never allow me to be tempted beyond where I can stand. Stand on Him. Stand with Him. And here's the promise, 1 Corinthians 10.13. If I stand on the Lord, He'll show me a way out so that we can endure. That's a promise. If you'll just keep standing on, He'll show you a way out. Whatever the temptation. Whatever the entangling, besetting sin is. Still others of us are fighting fear and worry and anger and all sorts of emotions going on. I love Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You can just keep worrying and being in fear and getting frustrated and angry. Or, 
instead of worrying, we can what? What's it say? We can pray. So I can keep on worrying and fearing and fretting and getting frustrated and angry, or I can pray and trust the Lord and thank the Lord for all that He's done. And here's the promise. You ready? And He'll replace the worry, the fear, the frustration, the anger with His perfect peace. Now that's a pretty good trade, wouldn't you say? Look at that promise. Instead of worrying, Henry, we pray. And he says, and I promise I'll replace your fear, your worry, your frustration, your anger with my perfect peace. Here's the conclusion. You ready? God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. Our God, King Jesus, is a promise keeper. You can hold on tight to that one. He's a promise keeper. Bow your heads as we close. Lord, thank you for giving us evidence. Evidence that uh, is proof that we can trust you. So Lord, would you please apply some of your super glue, supernatural super glue, supernatural cement to some of our doubts and misgivings about you and your book and your church and your son Jesus. And I want to pray right now for my friends who are wondering today if you're a God who can be trusted and believed. Praying that today your word would bring hope and encouragement and trust and confidence. Because Lord, when things go south in our health, south in relationship, south in uh, emotions and feelings, Lord, that's when it gets real tough. So Lord, would you help us to know and remember, tattoo it on our hearts, engrave it on our minds. Download it on our lips that you always keep your promises. And Lord, if there's anyone here today or watching online who's never trusted in you as their personal promise keeper, might today be the day when they say yes to you. So, Lord, work strong, knock loud. And if there's someone here and you need to say yes to the ultimate promise keeper, Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. Jesus, I believe you left the glory and splendor of heaven for me. And Jesus, I believe you took my place on that cross as the sinless Lamb of God. And Jesus, I believe that you shed your blood for my sin problem. Jesus, I believe you took my place in the grave. And Jesus, I believe that early Sunday morning you didn't stay dead. You arose from the dead. You did that for me. I believe that. And by faith right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Right now, Lord, I open the door of my life as a choice of my will 
And I ask you to come in and take charge and be my forever friend, be my king, my ruler, my boss, be the king of all the promises you've made to me. I choose you. If you're watching online, hit that ask for prayer button. Let somebody know if you're here in person, make your way back to the prayer corner. We'd love to celebrate with you and get you off to a good start in your journey with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for being so awesome. We love you. We celebrate you. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray all of these things. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing to King Jesus one more time.